This program is brought to you by PrideNZ.com. Hello, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. All the better for having your presence in my office, Benjamin. Thank you. So you're Marion Street? Marion Street, a member of Parliament, um, in my seventh year in, your in seventh Parliament. Year. Hmm. So is that like second term or? Third term. Third term, third term. Yep. yeah. We've got three year terms, so this is my third term as a oh. member of Parliament. Your third term. So um, where are you from? Uh, born in New Plymouth originally, but um, spent most of my adult uh, life in Auckland, 27 years or so in Auckland, uh, and then moved to Wellington because of my job, and now I'm, I am I'm, I go between Nelson and Wellington now, so I work out of Nelson mostly. Where's your like MP base? Where you've Nelson, Nelson, Nelson is my as my MP base. Um, this is my Wellington office, obviously, um, but um, Nelson is where I'm based as a list MP, and I've been there for the last five years. So um, I've lived there and and work there. So why did you wanted to go into politics? Um, I've, I don't recall a time when I wasn't in politics. Oh, yes, I do. Um, when I was at university, I wasn't very politically um, attuned. I was very active in all sorts of other things, but not, uh, not politics. And um, it was um, towards the end of the 70s when my political awareness started to sharpen up. So I was 20, early 20s at that point. And um, and then I started to become aware, painfully aware of of injustice really around mm-hmm. me and inequity, um, particularly as a woman. Mm-hmm. But um, and then increasingly as I understood my own sexuality um, around uh, around gay politics as well. What was it like when you found out that you were becoming an MP? Oh, um, it was something that wasn't a surprise to me. I'd been very involved in politics for a long time by then. I'd been the president of the Labour Party in the 1990s, and I'd stood down from that because my partner and I at the time uh, had a daughter who was um, just about to start school, and I wanted to be out of the public eye uh, before she started school. So we... um, I waited um, 10 years until until my daughter was old enough to contribute to the decision mm-hmm. and um, and came into Parliament when she was 15. So she's, uh, she's all grown up, but she has grown up with politics as well. Is she going to be in politics when she's older? Well, she's just finished her degree in majoring in political studies, so something's rubbed off, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know that she'll want to be an MP, but mm. she's very interested in policy work. Mm. How's it, how has being an MP changed you? Um, it, you have to get used to um, the intrusion, the public intrusion on your life. So there isn't much that's private. I try never to do interviews in my home mm. uh, in order to protect that area so that... Um, People can't comment on the kind of house I have, and mm. it's just a level of self-protection that's important. And uh, I think because I'm I'm usually a very um, sociable and domestic person, and I like to have people to dinner, for example, at my house. I'd, the number of times in a year I can do that is severely restricted because of my workload, and um, and so it's a real treat for me when I can. 
I can get some friends I really love round to dinner, and and that's um, that's a great treat for me. But I don't do it as often as I'd like to. So that kind of intrusion, the workload intrusion uh, on private life, mm-hmm. and um, the fact that um, you're never off duty as an MP. Mm-hmm. You're never off duty. There's always something happening. It's not just that. It's wherever you are, you are an MP. Mm. So you can't... um, uh, You have to leave the country to get any sort of anonymity. Mm. Um, And and I don't get to do that very often. (laughs) Occasional holiday. Um, uh, I... I had one. Um, I had one last year. Uh, well, beginning of this year, overseas, uh, over Christmas, and mm. it was fantastic. Just walking around and and knowing that nobody knew who you were it was I fantastic. Yeah, 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 it was great. I did happen to run into people I knew because I was in London, so mm. you do t- tend to run into New Zealanders there. Um, but um, but it was it was great. It was really good. So, what is the Rainbow Room? The Rainbow Room is a room that um, some of us uh, Rainbow MPs decided would be um, a good thing to have in Parliament. We've got a Māori Affairs Select Committee room, and that has been around for a very long time. There's a very old Māori Affairs Select Committee room, and the one I took you to was the newer Mm. one. Um, But that's been around for a very long time. In fact, the old one's called Native Affairs. Mm. That's how old it was. So um, there's a Pacifica, a Pacific Island uh, uh, Select Committee room. There was a women's one, which some of my colleagues in the 80s agitated to, to have, and that's got photos of uh, every woman MP that's mm. ever been here um, around the walls. Um, I don't know whether they've updated it recently. I haven't been in to have a look. So I should go and... No, I know. I know what it was. It happened in the 90s because it was for the 100th uh, anniversary of Mm. women's suffrage um, that that came about. And I think they stopped the photos at 1993. So I don't think there's been any photos added since since Mm. then. That's what I remember now. Yeah. and so some of us thought it was high time after the uh, homosexual law reform uh, in the 1980s, it was time to get a, a rainbow room mm. because we had a number of uh, rainbow MPs. And, um, and so we agitated. They were all in the Labour Party at that time. I wasn't in Parliament mm. um, as that movement started oh gosh no perhaps I was because I was there for the um, yeah so it must have been after 2005 so by then we I mean we had um, Tim Barnett um, Chris Carter we had um, uh, Georgina Byer as the first transgender mm-hmm. uh, MP in the world mm-hmm. actually um, so they were uh, they were uh, all labour Charles Chevelle, me, Grant Robertson, now, um, Louisa Wall. So we've we've got a bit of a history of gay MPs in the Labour Party, and um, and while Tim and Georgina and Chris are no longer MPs, um, we've still got got 
uh, four of us mm-hmm. in, in the house um, now, uh, including um, Kevin Haig as well for the Green Party, and Jan Logie just joined. So that's mm. three lesbian MPs now. So for a long time I was the only lesbian MP mm. in the House and um, was certainly the first out one. Um, but um, before that, of course, there was Marilyn Waring in the, in the 1980s and that was a different era, different time, uh, and it was much more difficult for her to be out mm. uh, at that time. So... Uh, now we've uh, the National Party's also got one gay MP, Chris Finlayson, who's the Minister of Arts, Culture and Heritage and Treaty Settlements, and um, uh, um, he's not quite as keen on advocating gay positions as as the rest of us are. In fact, just voted against the first reading of the Marriage Equality Bill. But there you are. Why is that? You'd have to ask him. I've no idea. Mm-hmm. I can't work it out. Are there other LGBTIQ politicians from the past that you admire? Oh yes, I think Marilyn Waring did um, uh, uh, did a very good job in lots of ways. I think uh, while many people knew she was gay, she she wasn't out hmm. publicly. And Rob Rob Muldoon, the Prime Minister at the time, who was a tyrannical sort of a leader used that against her mm. and uh, and made her life quite miserable. I mean, she was in his caucus mm. and uh, and he made her life quite miserable in that regard. But we're long past we're long past that um, that stage where homosexuality is an accusation. Uh, it's not anymore mm. and um, and we're much more part of the wallpaper mm. um, than we ever used to be. So I think those who have gone before me, like Chris and Tim and Georgina, have all been wonderful trailblazers. Mm. What's it like being a lesbian in Parliament? Um, it's kind of unnoticeable, really. Um, it's um, um, I'm proud mm. to be out and proud to um, defend gay issues mm. uh, and to represent them. Um, my portfolio, my major portfolio is health and I'm absolutely uh, preoccupied mm. with that. Where there are health issues that affect our queer communities, then I'll advocate for those. Just recently I wrote to Tony Ryle asking him about what moves had been made since they've been in government to improve access to health care appropriate access to health care for transgender people. Mm-hmm. So I'm just waiting for the reply on that. Um, um, so I'm, I'm happy to advance those issues uh, within and outside of my portfolio. Certainly if they come up, people would expect me to, uh, to advance those issues, and I do. So um, apart from that, um, um, we're so normal that it's um, normalised. Um, that it's kind of not an issue on a day-to-day basis. Mm. It's only an issue as things come up. Mm. So I don't experience any discrimination. Um, the Any novelty value has long since worn off. And there's certainly no um, 
possibility that anybody could use it as a weapon against me because I've disarmed them on that front. Mm. Going to um, talking about health, um, my mum's a nurse. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, that's really interesting because one of the questions I asked of of Tony Ryle was relating to the appropriate provision of health care and the mental health and safety of transgender prisoners. Mm. So I'll ask what I'll, I'll be interested to see what he comes back with on mm. that because I think it's a real issue because a lot of our transgender community. Uh, end up in prison for one reason or another mm. and um, getting them put in the right prison is a hassle to start with and then getting them appropriate uh, appropriate care, health care is, uh, is a real issue as well mm. and they are seriously at risk mm. in prison so I do have real concerns for them. Mm, good honour. Um, is it legal to give donate blood if you're a homosexual? No. Uh, a homosexual man? Mm. No. No. It's, uh, it seems to be all right for women. Mm. Um, but no, there is a, um, there is a prohibition. It's not a, it's not a law, mm. but it is um, a prohibition that the New Zealand Blood Service uh, still applies uh, uh, to gay men. Um, and just as recently as last year, we had in front of the Health Select Committee, we had the New Zealand Blood Service come mm. up for financial review. And so I asked them about this very point, and I said, OK, where are you up to with dropping the blanket discrimination now that we've got um, screening processes mm. for, uh, for blood? And, and all blood now is screened for HIV. Mm. Um, why do you st- stop? gay men giving, uh, giving blood. And they still maintain that uh, it's a high-risk group mm. um, and the World Health Organization standards are such that this um, blanket discrimination um, applies in numbers of countries. Mm. And, and until such time as that is relaxed internationally... Well, they don't feel they want to lead the way on that. Is there any way that Parliament can actually intervene by that? Um, by continuing to press the point um, and saying, and certainly um, if I were Health Minister, mm. I would be keen to review that. Mm. I'm sure it can be done by regulation. It could certainly be done, but I would do it under advice. Mm. But it seems to me that given the the uh, increasing prevalence of HIV in the heterosexual community, um, uh, it is still um, a precautionary measure uh, that is used to uh, that that discriminates against uh, against gay men, and um, and I think um, that the the emergence particularly through refugee communities and others of HIV in the heterosexual community, begins to um, erode the rationale for the discrimination against, uh, against gay men. However, it is still true that gay men are a high-risk, a higher-risk population. Is that why um, a lot of people try not to um, come out as their sexuality when they give donate blood well I don't think they should they should um, they shouldn't conceal their sexuality mm. um, uh, if they 
uh, if they know they're not at risk and they, they're absolutely certain they're not at risk, um, then uh, certainly they are being discriminated against. Mm. Um, but that issue needs to be dealt with properly mm. and, uh, and by, by regulation and by agreement. So what's it like um, being a woman in Parliament? Oh, um, uh, over the last, I suppose, two decades or three decades now, I think um, we've trained the men. Mm. And we're getting a different breed of male MP coming through. Which is More great. Oh well, you know they 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 tend to be married to modern women, and <laughs> they got to get with the program. Um, the dinosaurs who who um, would call you girly um, have mainly died off. Mm. Um, I, nobody uses that kind of language now. They used to, and you used to be put down for being a woman, but long before I came into Parliament. But it was prevalent in the 60s and 70s and 80s even. And um, But with a huge influx, I have to say, of Labour women, mm. in, in 1984, with the fourth Labour government came in, we had a huge influx of, of women who were all stroppy and didn't put up with any of that crap. And so the men would trained fairly quickly mm. how did you cope with the um, with the anti-homosexual statements in the debate especially with same-sex marriage oh uh, they were nowhere near as uh, as vile or as hostile as uh, the 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 whole campaign for homosexual law reform in the 80s so we've morphed we've evolved we've grown up Mm. And uh, and what's left opposing us is a little um, radical, usually religious rump that uh, will never be persuaded anyway. But they are so much in the minority now mm. that really and truly uh, they don't they shouldn't bother anybody. It was not like that in the eighties, and people were vilified, and it took a lot of courage for people to come out. These days, it's not a matter of courage; it's simply a matter of honesty.